Father, you are our anchor. You are that thing that holds us down in the midst of stormy seas. You are what gives us strength. You are what gives us assurance of life. We pray, Lord, that you would make it ever more clear to us how it is that you stand strong in our lives, even in the midst of the turbulence that we often suffer. We thank you, Father, that your promises are ever more true today as they always have been. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, uh, good morning once again. I, uh, hey, Daryl's still here. <laughs> hey, Daryl. <laughs> um, I, I have to tell you that we, you might notice that we've shifted um, the stage, uh, and there's a weirdness, and um, it won't ever happen again. We're sorry. Uh, we don't like it because um, it's like I, the people on the sides... Like, if I want to see Joe, i got to turn all the way over here. Um, not, not that I ever really want to look at you. but um, So it's just it's th- it threw me off at the first service, so I bring it up uh, at this service, just to let you know, as my mind is always moving in ways that I can't control. <laughs> no one else knows what I'm talking about. I know a lot of you who have the same things. So there are a, we're starting a new series, and it's about love. Uh, we're going to talk about what love is. Uh, in fact, today's title is What is Love? Anybody want to go to the Roxbury with me? Anybody go into that when I said that? What is love? No? Come on, Jason. I see you right there. And, and so we're talking about what love is and, and what it means to be a son and a daughter of the Most High God and, and, and what that looks like in the way in, what, in which we love. Now, for those of you who are guests here who do not call this your community or regular home, we're also going to be talking about stewardship. And we're going to be showing some videos that talk about the things that our church does. This isn't for you. Um, we're, we're thrilled that you're here, but this is for the people that call this place home. Um, we, thri- we survive here on the tithes and offerings that our congregation gives. We do amazing ministry. We are enabled, well, we do amazing stuff. Uh, we are enabled to do the ministry of God in this community and beyond through your gifts and contributions. We never talk about money here. We never talk about the, that you might not even know that we take an offering here. We do. It's those little brown pillars that you walk by and put your trash in. Um, that's actually for the offertory. Uh, and, and so we, uh, we, we live and we thrive on those things and they enable us to do the ministry, uh, throughout this community and, and the world, uh, that we do, uh, every year. Um, so in the next five weeks, we're going to focus in on, on a specific ministry. And my original title for this video series was called, look at what you did, you know, cause you, it's always a bad thing, right? When your parents says, look at what you did. And I was like, no, but it's a good thing. Look at what you did. But they, as often as you know, usual, they didn't take my advice, and they went with just like HUMC ministry, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's going to go to sleep on that. But uh, we, we have great videos. So today we're starting these videos. And these videos focus in on thing, ministry that we do, ministry that we do throughout the community, um, here on campus, throughout the community in the world, because of the, the gifts, the tithes, and the offerings that you give. This week we begin with our children. Hi, I'm Natalie Jones, and I am so excited to have the opportunity to talk to you about our children's ministry program here at Alma Heights United Methodist. I have the unique perspective of having been born in this church and grown up through the children's ministry all the way through high school, and now to have the opportunity to raise my three children here is such a blessing. Um, When having my three kids, it became really important to me to be a part of this ministry, to see and to be a part 
of their growing faith and to walk alongside their peers as they learn about God and all that he has for them and the unique and wonderful creations he's created them to be. I've had the opportunity to teach in the Sunday school classrooms, to lead worship on Sunday mornings, and also to be a part of our Vacation Bible School program. There are so many wonderful stories that happen here in our children's ministry, but some that have been uh, told to me over the past couple of years have been parents who have been amazed to walk into their children's bedrooms after Vacation Bible School to find them together reading scripture, to getting video clips of kids singing and praising to the worship music that they learn at our summer VBS at months after the fact to seeing um, tears in a mom's eyes as she knows that her child has accepted Jesus. Those are just some of the incredible parts of impact that we have here in the children's ministry. And for me um, personally to see my kids just come and be a part of this church with wild abandon. There's no hesitation. They love this place just like I do. But having grown up here and now knowing this is truly a home and such a family to be a part of, it's a wonderful place to invest our time and our generosity as these young kids will be the grown-up leaders of our church before too long. And it's a blessing to be a part of it. Hi, I'm Gina Beal. I'm the Director of Children's Ministries here at this church. I want to thank you for your continued support of this church and for your support of Children's Ministries. Your financial support allows us to do what we do, from crayons and markers and curriculum to supporting our volunteers to the great special projects that we do. We have a great VBS. Your generosity allows us to love on the kids, to teach them more about Jesus, and encourage them to live that in their own lives. We thank you for your support and for your generosity. God working in and through us. All right, it's all right. It's an okay title. But how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are here at this church because of our children's ministry? I know that the answer is huge. So many people come to our church because they want a place for their kids. And for years and years and years, we have had an amazing children's ministry. It is no different today. We have such an amazing children's ministry that goes on in uh, the children's wing right now at the 930 service, 11 o'clock service every Sunday. These kids are getting to learn what it feels like to be loved, to be loved by God. They're getting to hear those stories that maybe we take for granted because we've heard them forever. Um, they're getting for the first time to, to grasp hold of the greatness of who God is and, and to do these things. Uh, throughout the summer, the VBS program is so amazing. Uh, this year is the first year we did it here in this room, and it was so cool to see, like, wall to wall, we take the chairs out, and, and we, the fire marshal would not be happy with us. You know, there's so many kids in here, but it's for Jesus so we can break laws uh, is what we always say. Um, but it's so cool to, to see all these kids just shouting at the top of their lungs uh, songs about God and, and Jesus. And, and, um, and this year we actually started a special needs VBS class that had kids all the way, young kids. I don't know if Grace was the youngest. I think there's maybe one younger all the way up um, to adults 
who still function as children. Um, but they got to come here and to see, they were over in that section and to see their faces and reactions when the teachings and the songs were going on was so amazing. Uh, we are blessed to have uh, an incredible children's director with us. Uh, she's in the room right now, Gina Beal. Uh, Gina, would you stand up just so everybody can see you? Yeah, I, well, I've already said it, so stand up. She'll be in the parlor afterwards to sign autographs. Uh, she loves that. Um, but we are so, so thankful for your generosity that allows us to do this ministry, uh, to take care of our kids and the kids of our community, because it doesn't just stop here. The children's ministry filters out into the rest of our uh, Alma Heights community. So thank you. Thank you for, uh, for doing what you do. Now, on to what is love. What is love? Now, that, that, love is a huge concept, right? It's four little letters, but it is so big. Some people have a really hard time saying it. Some people don't hear it enough. Some people have never heard it, that they're loved. But love is this huge, huge word, this huge concept. I know we just walked through the whole concept of the fact that we're all created in the image of God and therefore, you know, supposed to look like God, and that's kind of big too. But love, love is one of those things that just... Uh, it is, it's so hard to grasp because it's, you know, how do you know you're in love, Dad? You know, did, have you ever gotten that question from one of your children? How do, how do I know that I love this person? Well, if you feel like you want to throw up, you know, <laughs> like, oh, that's great. Um, but it's hard to explain and it's hard to grasp hold of. And, and what is this love that we are called to live by? A lot of people say God is love. Uh, Okay. Oh, thank you for clearing that up. You know, I completely understand it now. God is love. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like if you put it into everyday life? Yes, I would argue that the tenet of Scripture is more about love than anything else. But what does that tell us, and how does that tell us we should operate and live? In the book of Genesis, there's a great story that shows what love looks like. And it's uh, in Genesis chapter 22 is the story, but it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And many of you maybe are already filtering through this story in your minds when you say those two words together. But let me give you a little backstory. So previously in the history of the world, not much has happened. We've had creation, Adam and Eve. Uh, you have Noah, the flood, all those wonderful things. And then you get to this guy, Abram. And Abram is um, a man who, follow, who, who wants to be a guy who follows after God's heart. And, and he has a lot of encounters with God, actually, along the way. Multiple encounters with God. So much so that at one point, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And he says during these times that you are going to be the one. I am going to make a covenant with you. And from you, the descendants will come who will redeem the world. From you, the, the entire world will be blessed. This is big words, right? Like God's talking to Abraham and he's like, from you, from you, the world will be blessed. <laughs> wow. Heavy. But the problem is Abram doesn't have any children. He's lived a whole long life and he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of wealth. He's got a lot of land. He's got a lot of sheep and, but no children. He and his wife, Sarah, just haven't had kids. And so Sarah, you know, and he talk, and she's like, hey, go have a son because we need to descend it with, um, with your servant. And so he goes and he has a son with his servant, and Ishmael is born. And he loves Ishmael because Ishmael is his son, and this is his descendant. But God comes to him one day and says, hey, he's not the one. He's not the one through which the promise will be delivered. He's your son, 
and we're going to take care of him, but he's not the one. Sarah's going to give you a son. Do you remember what Abraham does? (laughs) Sarah, yeah, she's 90. I'm 100. Yeah, God, we're going to have a kid right now. That's a great idea. How many of you have babies right now and you're so tired you can't think about functioning? Now think you're 100 years old. There's no way. Like God's like, hey, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, yeah, yeah, right. And you're going to name him Isaac, which means he laughs. So God comes through and God says, you're going to have a kid. And Sarah hears this and Sarah's like, yeah, right. She's probably like not out of this body, you know, and but it comes to pass that Sarah gives birth to a son and they name him Isaac. And Isaac grows, and eventually God comes, and he says, hey, um, Ishmael, you need to send him away. We're going to bless him, we're going to take care of him, but you need to send him away. Because Isaac is the one. Isaac's the one from, from where the promise is coming. Isaac's the chosen one. We need to focus on Isaac now. So they get to this point where all this goes down. And then chapter 22 happens. And it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, these are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Kind of a weird place to stop the scripture there. But let's digest what we've just heard. You have this man who has longed for a child forever. He gets a child and God says, that's great, but we're going to have another one. And this one is the one from whom you will bless the world. At this point, he's very old. He's 100 years old. The thought of that just blows the mind. But here comes this boy, Isaac. And he is the one God has said, this is the one the promise is coming through. Your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Imagine the relationship that Abraham must have had with Isaac. This son whom his beloved Sarah had given him. Late, late, late in life. And God comes to him and tests him. Throughout Abraham's story, he gets tested ten times. This is the last and biggest one. God comes to him and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son. I'm going to point you to a mountain, a specific place, and I want you to sacrifice him there. What does Abraham do? He does it. He takes him. He doesn't argue. But just a little bit ago, Sodom and Gomorrah is about to be wiped out, and and Abraham stands with God and says, wait a minute. What if there's 50 people there? Are you still going to wipe them out? And God's like, okay, 50 people, know. And then Abraham's like, okay, how about 45? Do I hear 40, 30, 35? 30? And he goes through this whole auctioning thing with God as he's standing there, right? And he gets God down to 10. 
what gravitas you have to have to stand with God and judge God's judgment. Abraham doesn't play these games, right? Abraham has this relationship with God where he's like, hey, if we're going to get into this and we're going to be like a God and a son, we're going to get into this. And I have some questions about what you're doing in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God goes, okay, let's talk about it. But now, a short time later, we don't know how much longer later, it just says sometime later. God says, take your son, your only son, your beloved son, Isaac, go up on the mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him. What does Abraham say to that? Nothing. Nothing. Doesn't say a word. He doesn't stand and say, but what about that other kid? Can we, how about I sacrifice a hundred goats? Nothing. He says, here I am. And then he does what he's supposed to do. He gets two servants, a donkey, they go, they chop wood, they carry the wood, they go to a place and they get up there. Now this story in rabbinic tradition is called the Akedah. And the Akedah means the binding. And it's a hugely significant moment. They're walking up the side of the mountain. Isaac turns to his father and says, Father, I'm carrying the wood because it's on my back and I can feel it. I see that you have the fire and the knife. It's, you know, as we've, been, as we've been doing this over the years, as we've been sacrificing things, I, I remember that there's one more thing. There's like, I, I feel like, I don't want to assume anything and I don't want to insinuate anything, Dad, but I feel like you maybe forgot something. Like, the lamb. Do you, because we're going to get up there and have nothing to, we're just going to set an altar and, and Abraham says what? God will provide a lamb, my son. Some scholars say that the comma there is hugely important. God will provide the lamb, my son. So they go up the mountain, and they build the altar, and they set the wood, and they get it ready. And then it says that Abraham binds Akedah's Isaac. He binds him on the altar. Now let's think about this for a moment, okay? We've just heard that Isaac carried the wood on his back up the mountainside. Isaac's not a child. There's a midrash interpretation that goes on and says the story, because right after this, Sarah dies at 127 years old, it says. And some people say that she died because of what was occurring on the mountain and she couldn't take it and her heart just gave out. So if that's the case, that she died around that same time at 127, we know that when he was born, she was in her early 90s, then we know that Isaac's in his 20s. He's in 30s, maybe. Math was not my strong suit. So he, he was, he's an old man. He is a man strong enough to take a 140-year-old dude down, right? So Because Abraham's like 130, 140 years old now, and he goes up the mountainside. You know, he's not carrying the wood, probably because he doesn't have the strength to do it. But his son does. And they come to the altar. Now, I have a son who's eight years old. And he's not a normal eight-year-old sized boy. He's a little bit bigger than an eight-year-old sized boy. Uh, but he is extremely ticklish. 
like really, really ticklish. And he does not like to be tickled. So, like any good father, periodically, I hold him down and tickle him. Because counselors need a job at some point in his life, so, uh, you know. So for a while, I, would, I, I, could be, I could hold him down and I could tickle him and he'd fight and he'd yell at me, Stop it! I hate this! And I'm like, no, you don't. It's funny. It's horrible parenting. Um, but now I really can't hold him down anymore. Because when I get after him and start tickling him, he starts throwing punches. Boom, boom, like this. and starts kicking. Wah! And he knows where to kick. He's eight. I'm almost 42, and I struggle holding him down. If Isaac wanted, when Abraham goes, hey, here's an idea. Why don't you hop up on the altar real quick? He could have taken his dad, clearly. But what happens is they get to this point, and presumably Isaac says, all right, let me crawl up here. Go ahead and tie me down. Because he knows. He trusts in the love of his father. And the story goes on to say that Abraham gets in place as a sacrifice goes and he raises the knife. And a voice from heaven says, Abraham! And Abraham says, here I am! You know, when we read these words and we read through just the blank black and white words on the page, sometimes I feel like we miss the emotion that must have been there. Can you imagine what must have been going through Abraham's mind? But this is the one. This is Isaac. I can't imagine what my life will be like if you make me go through this, God, but you ask me to do it. And so I stand here with the knife above me. I'm sure he couldn't see Isaac because his eyes were so filled with tears. The ugly cry must have been in full force and just snot all through his beard. And he brings the knife forward and he's going to do what God asked him to do. And God says, wait, Abraham. Don't you think when he says, here I am, it's just, here I am. He drops to his knees and he drops the knife. Oh, here I am. And he looks over his shoulder and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And they run and they grab that ram. God provides on this mountain is what he calls it. God will provide. The love that Isaac must have had for his father must have been huge. Because he trusted. See, what we don't hear is we don't hear the stories that Abraham must have told Isaac during the years that he was growing up. You know, we we go from the point where he's born and then sometime later, when Isaac's big enough to carry a sacrificial wood parcel up a mountain, 
So you know that there had to have been interactions between Abraham and Isaac during the time that they were growing up. They're Bedouins. They're sheep herders. They go around. They move around. They, they, live, they live their life. And Abraham's telling them story after story after story. There was a time when the people had turned their backs on God. And God decided to start over. So he caused this great flood. But he didn't want everybody to go. So he had this, our ancestor Noah. And Noah, he had him build an ark, and he brought all these animals in. And, oh, son, Isaac, do you know how much your father God loves you? Story after story after story, Abraham is filling Isaac with love, with the love of a father. His love and the understanding that God the Father loves us more. And Abraham would tell Isaac, oh, gosh, Isaac, I don't know how much God loves us. I can't even fathom it. But he's given us a promise, and he said one day that from us, the world will be blessed. Time and time again, Abraham poured into Isaac this feeling of love. You are loved. So when Isaac's walking up that mountain, what he has to depend upon is the fact that he's loved. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what God has talked to dad about. But he said, we'll go up here. And we'll do it. Because I trust him so much, because I believe in him so much, my love for him is so great that I'm willing to climb on that altar. And whatever happens, happens. I will give my life because I love my father that much. And Abraham says, I will take my son's life because I love my God that much. The place that God brought them to is the place that they would eventually build the temple. We know the rest of the story. But Abraham at that time didn't. He didn't know what would happen when he got to the top of the temple mount. He didn't know what would happen when he got to this place where sacrifice would be huge. But we see that God was calling a shot. God's like, watch this story. I'm going to send a father and a son, and the father is going to allow the son's life to be taken so that this may occur. Watch this. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to walk up that mountain with my son. But I'm going to allow him to be taken so that you may live. That's love. That is love. Love is saying not what can you give me, but what can I give you? Love is saying if, it, if, it, if you must take everything from me so that you might have, I'm yours. Here I am. Love is this sacrificial mentality. We live in a world that's focused on self. We live in a world that is focused on what I can get for me right now. I must protect this house. But God says, this isn't how, this isn't how we roll. The way in which you truly love someone is to give everything for them. The way in which I, God, truly love the world is to give it all for it. It's to give my son 
so that you may know what love is. So often we're focused on ourselves instead of focused on the world. So often we're focused on the unfairness of what happens to us that we don't think about the ways in which we take from others. God is calling us to be his sons and daughters that understand in order to love the world, we must lose ourselves. And those who lose themselves will find him, will find life, and will understand what it means to be truly loved. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of your Son, our Savior, for the gift of Yeshua, who gave himself so that we might have our lives. He gave us the example of what sacrificial love is. He gave us an opportunity to live lives as he lived his. One not focused on ourselves, but focused on others. One proclaiming the mystery of faith that Christ died, Christ rose again, and he will return, bringing his love and his mercy with him. We pray, Father, that you would give us the strength that in the meantime we would live lives as your sons and daughters, understanding what it means to love sacrificially. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.